This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Well, I'm sure my co-host is excited to tell me once again, I told you so, so I will let him get right to it. Scott, how are you, my brother? Bill, listen, that's not my personality. I'm not the (laughs) type of guy that's going to tell you I told you so. There's no reason for me to do that. This is a great thing we're about to announce. But you know what? Before I do, I really just have to say, I told you so. I told you so. I told you. 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 I keep coming back. Yeah, and it, look, like the the details of which are still being hashed out, namely um, the locations of where this is going to – how this is really going to all happen. Uh, hockey is basically, I would say, what would you put it at? Like a 60% chance of coming back now? Oh, In I terms would say of, 90. Just, the, the NHLPA yeah. agreed to the 24-team uh, format, yeah. and there's a lot of reasons why this is good, which we're going to talk about today. But I would say we'll have – by July, we'll have hockey back. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a good date, especially because they're going to still do the training camp for a couple weeks to get teams back into the flow of things. There, There's your favorite word. Um, it's mm-hmm. just kind of like, yeah, just it's crossing the I's and uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's in this scenario because, and we'll get into the, let's get, get into this right now. What we talked about last week in the terms of the 2014 playoff was the concern we had of the top four seeds getting a bye. And what we discovered and what was announced was that is, in fact, happening. However, they're doing something that I think we both agree is absolutely genius. And while the first round is happening from the the five seed down, the top four seeds are going to be playing for the top four seeds, if that makes sense. The top four seeds are playing for seeding. And mm-hmm. I didn't see what – how I don't think they've announced exactly how that's going to work, obviously, because within the span of two weeks, you could do a round robin. You could do a one and done. Like there's a couple scenarios that you can do, some really good, some really bad. And we'll discuss those as well. But on the face of it, having these top four teams play, other than maybe Boston, who did vote yes for this – but they still might be hesitant because of where they sit in the standings because they have a pretty substantial lead on that number one seed. This is an, a genius move by the NHL to have this format. You know, we, we've, we're we really not we, but I've criticized the NHL a lot during this whole season on this podcast for some of the things that they could do better. This is by far the best I've se- idea I've seen from them in, in, in decades. I mean, this yeah. is beyond – fantastic and outside the box thinking that's going to grab a lot of people's attention because right now people are starving for sports. So we have something here. So that's, that's, we have a shell of what they're going to wind up doing and seeing how many markets are in this thing. I mean, there are 31 teams in the NHL and 24 of them are going to the playoffs. I mean, yeah. And all major markets, all the major markets are going in Philadelphia, Washington, Boston, like all New York, obviously, both New York teams are going to be in it under this format. And it's just like and then obviously the West Coast big name teams are Edmonton, Chicago, those like all those cities. This is exactly what the what NHL needs to try and make that gap up of the revenue that they've inevitably lost. Yeah, which we'll get into in a little bit for a couple of reasons why, you know, the important thing is, too, is that it's weird, like. You're right. Most of the major markets are here, but there's still a couple markets that are going to wind up hurting the NHL in the end because of this. Detroit, worst team in the league, they're not going to be a part of it. You have all three teams in California not making it this year. So you have the Sharks, you have the Ducks, and you have the Kings. They're out. So right there, you have four teams that are major market teams that aren't going to Basically, sniff it. Buffalo, small market, doesn't matter. Ottawa, small market, really doesn't matter, although it's Canada. They're a budget team. So right there, 
you have your teams there where basically all the big the revenue getters are going to be here. But before we get into that, it's really going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Because while this thing is beyond fantastic, there's one key detail on it that you and I were talking about that I think that the NHL really needs to revisit before they they tidy this whole thing up. Because I think it's going to, while the NHL is, yes, it's the, it's the wild card league. An 8C could get in and go run the table on the whole damn thing. It doesn't happen anywhere else in any other league. Yeah. But the whole point is, is that, you know, if a, a 12 seed gets in like Montreal, they can make a run to the cup. And, you know, that would be craziness for two reasons, because nobody would expect Montreal to win a cup. And not only that, too, Montreal probably doesn't expect to win a cup. But the point being is that th- this is going to be mind blowing how this is all going to work out, because there's going to be a lot of teams having playing hockey, meaningful hockey that would not have normally a chance to do so. Yeah. And, and basically what you're, they're not, because they're not doing this reseeding scenario with 12 teams or 24 teams total, 12 on each side, they kind of went to the format for at least the first two rounds. The first two rounds are kind of what they're, or they're calling, they're kind of doing this like exactly like the NCAA, the first round with the, before the buy uh, is called or in conclu- con- uh, concurrence with the bye week for the top four seeds is kind of the playing round, and then after that round is a quote unquote first round. But for our sake, we'll just call that round the first round. So in the first round, there's no reseeding. So the one seed will play the eight seed. Think of it like the March Madness if you're a March Madness fan. Four seed plays the winner of five twelve. Two seed plays the winner of seven ten, and three plays the winner of six eleven. I don't have a problem with that, and I think I have a reason for why they're doing it, and it just came to me. Because they're thinking about only eight or nine locations, my assumption will be that they will only put X amount of teams in, obviously, in those cities and and surrounding areas. So I think they'll just have the one seed and the eight, nine, the, those three teams in the same city, the four seed along with the five, 12 seed in the same city. And that way it prevents an, too much travel because we're still dealing with a pandemic, a global pandemic in COVID-19. So I think maybe that's their logic there. They're keeping teams confined to that round so they're not doing too much travel. Possibly I, that that very well could be. You know, I didn't think of that, and that's a smart way of looking at it. But the, the, here's the issue that I have. You know, Boston has a hundred points as of right now. They're not going to be finishing the regular season. So Boston, for all intents and purposes, I think might have won the won the President's Trophy. I'd mm-hmm. have to double check that. Um, but the whole point is, is that maybe it's just me because if you if you are a if you are a the top in the conference, in the division, or whatever, you've earned that right to play the weakest link available. You've earned that right. And, I mean, Boston, by by leaps and bounds, is going to win the President's Trophy. They are the only one with 100 points in the entire league. The second closest is, looks like, uh, Washington with, with 90. I'm sorry, St. Louis with 94. So here's the issue that I have with this, is that Boston – should not have to automatically default play either a Toronto or Columbus, the eight yeah. nine matchup because Toronto is considered the eighth seed. Ninth seed is considered Columbus. They, she shouldn't have, to, they should have to default to that. If they win the first seeding overall, the point is, is that for instance, say Montreal beats Pittsburgh, which in a play around could very likely happen because Pittsburgh yeah. was up and down towards we're, the end of it. I think there's only two scenarios that we're going to see. They're either going to be a ton of like chalk. It's going to go eight beats nine, five beats 12. It's going to go straight down the board, or there's going to be upsets galore because of how long these guys have been off, off the ice and not right. playing and cohesiveness with their team. Right. So it could go either way, honestly. You're right. It could. It could. But here's 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 the thing I have is that say Toronto does win and they're the eighth seed and Boston wins the top seed overall. Boston and Toronto, that's a one-eight matchup, okay? Say Pittsburgh wins and the fourth seed turns out to be Washington. So Washington gets the better favorable matchup over a weaker team than Boston does. I well, have also, a bit of an issue with that. Yeah, and I'm actually I'm looking at the bracket that they have the, of the proposed format. 
And honestly, if this goes chalk, it works itself out to a reseed because eight will, eight will be the last remaining seed. So you have to – I think the NHL might be banking on not many upsets this year, and maybe that's why they're not going to be doing reseeding. I, I think that's yeah. a p- potential. Like maybe they're just banking on fresh te- or good teams getting back into the groove of things quicker than the bad teams that are struggling out of the gate. And really what this comes down to in the terms of having a 24-team playoff is just revenue. They need to make up this revenue as quickly and easily as possible. Agreed. And, and look at it from this perspective. So why were some of these teams struggling to begin with? Some of it was injuries. Yeah. Some of it was they just weren't playing up to par. I can look at this bracket, and I can already sniff out a couple of upsets that would happen, depending on how the play-in round works out. We don't know if it's going to be a series, a, a one-game format. I would hope maybe it's probably like a best of five, worst case, yeah, best of seven. I would, I, I would, I would hope would, that would be the minimum, a f- minimum of five games. Right. I, you, that's probably the fairest way. To, I don't think a win and in would be the best thing because then you're not generating any revenue for those cities. I think you have to do a best of five, and if the NHL really wants to push it, then they get a best of seven because then at least you, you're getting a little bit more something out of it. Because I'm sure that local TV would probably do most of those matchups first at the play-in round. But anyway, this uh, besides that, take an example that Boston and Toronto play. And then, like, for instance, like, uh, uh, if you want to go bracket by bracket, I can tell you Boston would probably be Columbus. I'm sorry, Toronto would probably be Columbus. But yet again, Columbus probably could see about Seth Jones coming back, and that's a difference maker because Toronto's already got some problems, which we're going to discuss later on. So Columbus could probably get there. I can see Montreal beating Pittsburgh, and it's not because we're a Flyers podcast. It's because I think there's a wild card that people don't think about with Montreal. Yes, they they kind of are in a little bit of a retooling here. They have mm-hmm. some good young talent. They have Shea Weber on their blue line who's still a, a leader and can still hammer from the point. But if I'm looking at a 5-12 with Montreal as the 12th, there's one wild card in Carey Price, which I think could win a game or win a series, at least one for Montreal. The 7-10 against the Islanders and the Panthers. I could see the Panthers squeaking that one out against the Islanders because they were a little sluggish towards the end of this whole thing. And then the 6-11 and was the most intriguing matchup out of all this with the Hurricanes and the Rangers because both teams were pretty much going in opposite directions. The Rangers were hot before this stuff happened, and then the Hurricanes were up and down a little bit. But if they have their goaltending healthy and Peter Morozik is back, we're talking Peter Morozik here, but still, the point is, is that <laughs> it's it's going to be better than Henrik Lundqvist coming off, or yeah. Igor Shosturkin coming off of some, you know, coming off a, a leave and all that stuff. So, I could see some some upsets happening here. You look out west; it's kind of the same thing. Eight nine with the with the Calgary and, and Winnipeg matchup. I love that matchup. That can go either way. The Oilers and the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks are making a bit of a push there before this ended. And they still have Jonathan Taves. They still have Patrick Kane. They still have Corey Crawford. They still have Duncan Keith. They still have Brent Seabrook. You're going to tell me that those guys with all that experience, playoff experience, could possibly upset Leon Dreisaitl and and Connor McDavid in a a play-in round? Absolutely, I could see that happening. Yeah, totally. And and, uh, the West is the most intriguing first round or the play-in round, whatever they're going to that's more intriguing than the East right now. Yeah, Yeah. and I I agree. And I don't mean – I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't mean to cut you off. But, like, the point is is that there's more upsets available there. I mean, Vancouver is a good team, but the Wild are more of a veteran team. So they might have – they'll have a little bit more of an edge there, I think. And then also the 6-11, that's a toss-up because – Nashville was up and down after they fired LaViolette. They're a little bit up and down. New coach, a couple new things to go into. And then Arizona was leading the Pacific at one point before they went on a nosedive. So it doesn't probably won't take long for them to rebound. So it, all this is so intriguing. And it's fantastic because the cooler thing is, too, is seeing these top four seeds play against each other. So the Flyers are going to have the benefit of this, of being able to play better teams off the bat yep. to kind of prepare for that first full round. Which yes. is great. Yeah, and it completely flattens the the concern that you and I had last week of why are we giving these top four teams or whatever, just a general bye week for these teams right. when they're already having a two-month, three-month break by the end of this if, if we don't get back until July. Like, you got to get these guys back on the ice as quickly as possible. Practice can only do so much if you let right. them practice during this point. So to let them have this play-in series or games, whatever they're going to call it, and however they format it, 
it's just a benefit for everyone from Boston to Washington, all the way down to at the avalanche in Dallas. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that I didn't see the avalanche in the playoff round, so they wouldn't have even made it. Look at that. I just yeah. noticed that. I just noticed. Oh, sorry. Kyle, Kyle Anderson. I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and looking back at this, though, I find it funny that two teams voted against this. The Carolina Hurricanes and the Tampa Bay Lightning voted against this. Yeah, you and I were talking about this before we started recording. I I can, like, I'm trying to understand the logic of Tampa more than Carolina. I can hear Carolina a little bit because they are a guarantee. They were already a guaranteed playoff team as the top wildcard team in the East at the time of the pause. Tampa makes no sense to me. Like maybe they were banking on the regular season starting and they wanted to see if they could catch Boston, but it just, it doesn't compute either way at the end of the day. Well, with 10 games left, they were eight points out. So Tampa, I'm talking about here, right? At 10 games left. They're eight points out, probably weren't catching up, but that would have put them in a matchup with Toronto, which is a favorable matchup for them because Toronto wouldn't have pulled an upset like they were last year. Now the issue is I think that Tampa's looking at is that, oh, wait a minute. They can play any one of these teams. I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, Tampa doesn't want to play a team probably like Pittsburgh or probably even like the Rangers or, you know, maybe That's even Columbus. Point. I don't think that they no. want to play those types of teams because I think that although they you would know, beat them, that they would have trouble against you them. You know why they voted no on this? Because they're little softies and they're still worried about last year's sweep in the first round after the winning the president's trophy and it's still in their heads and I can guarantee you whoever they play because despite, like you said, they were one of two teams. This is going forward. Like I like they they, they lost the majority. So they're going forward with this. So they're little softies, and they're going to be like, oh, well, we lost last year, so we got to have a fair. And it's like, dude, nothing's <laughs> fair right now. Yeah. You win some, you lose some. Life ain't yeah. fair. Get a yeah. helmet. No. <laughs> it's so true. You're absolutely right. And grow a pair. But here's here's the thing about Tampa. You know, I, we a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we were going to break down the 97 final game by game. You know what? I – we talked about this. We're not doing that anymore because, frankly, I'll be Especially honest now. with you. Yeah, now that now, hockey's – like it's solidified that pretty much hockey is coming back. We have bigger things that we can focus on now for our audience. Right. So the thing is also nobody wants to relive a loss 20 years ago. We can talk back about why they lost. Look, here's the loss. Terry Murphy said they choked. They did. They choked. They didn't make it. They didn't get it done. They didn't expect a left-wing lock. Bingo. Okay, 20 years ago, 23 years ago, let's not worry about it. But – the thing is that we can show you is that you're going to see in the next couple of weeks, the Flyers are going to play right off the bat. You know, it's going to be Boston, Tampa, and Washington. Now, how do they yeah. match up against those teams? So what we yeah. can do is that we'll put together kind of scouting reports of how each team plays and what the Flyers need to do to kind of beat these teams. So, you know, if you think about it a little bit, I, the one I've done the homework on right now the most is Tampa because they're the most intriguing. I mean, the Flyers have beaten Boston, albeit with, with our Yaroslav Halak in goal this year, which yeah. does make a difference because they did lose against Tugarask in the last game they played, didn't score a goal against them. That does make a difference. Washington, they've pretty much destroyed out of the first, besides the first game this season they played against them, they've pretty much destroyed Washington. Washington does not play well when, when the other team effectively forechecks. They don't play well. They just they can't stand up against it. Tampa's intriguing because I see how last year they lost against a team like Columbus, because some of those things are still there. Tampa capitalizes on their turnovers, and when they turn the puck over, they're puck hounds. So if a guy's skating out of the zone, they're on it with trying to turn that puck over like crazy. But at the same time, that that's really their bread and butter. Their bread and butter is off the rush, being in the right spots when teams are overly aggressive on them, and they can make the good passes. Andre Vasilevsky, I have questions about him. I really yeah. do, because yeah. he's given up some long goals that just – in tight, he plays so big and so positionally, he's hard to beat in tight. But a, back at the point, I've seen him give up goals in a couple of games that way, especially on the power play. So there's that's a that's a big red flag for them that you can't give up the long goals because guess what? There's another Russian I can think of that was dominant during the regular season, and then when he got to the playoffs, he couldn't get his team over the hump. And that's Evgeny Nabokov was one of the best goalies to play over the last 20 years. So, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like, to make a comparison in the Flyers, like he's Vasilevsky's definitely better than him, but it's kind of like Steve Mason. Mason was pretty solid goalie for the Flyers in the regular season, 
And then come playoff time, I forget who it was against, but he let up a, a he, if you recall, Washington. he let up, was 20, it the Washington series? Yeah, he let up the, he let the up half, the half ice goal. It was yeah. terrible. Yeah. And that that's kind of similar. That's, that's a much compartmentalized comparison to put him next to Mason. Cause Vaz is obviously a better goalie overall, but come playoff time, they're pretty similar. And not only that, they give up the goals that kind of make you scratch your head. I've seen Mason. Yeah. St- I remember when yeah. Mason played, he used to stand on his head, but there were some goals just like, man, you, you got to stop that one. And Vasilevsky still has that. He's a great goalie. I mean, Tuka Rask, believe it or not, is the same way. When Tuka's on his game, he, that's what happens when the last time the Flyers played, they get shut out. Like, yeah. when Tuka's on his game, he's literally unbeatable. He's unbeatable. But you get Tuka a little early. You could, you saw it last year during the Stanley Cup final. Game six, he played the best game I've ever seen him play. And game seven, he goes out and lays an egg. So Rask is up and down like that, too. Washington, look, with all due respect, Braden Holpe gets a lot of respect, but Braden Holpe's got really one successful playoff here, and that's the year they won the cup. Other than that, they couldn't get out of the second round. Yeah. They couldn't get, you know, so uh, that's the whole point there is that you can't say that Holpe is going to be the difference maker because he's just not. He's a great goalie, but he's not one that's going to take you over the hump again. He that would, you, you just caught fire that year. So, the Flyers have a good opportunity here to get in here and do something because you have a lot of team that's going to be really kind of chomping at the bit to prove something, I think. Yeah, and let's get into this. I think that pretty much covers where we're where what we know now of the NHL in terms of returning. Like, the NHL is coming back. It needs to find a location. It needs to find out logistics of broadcasting and stuff. But on paper – 24 teams, 12 on each side, four teams get the bye, and they're going to play for seeding, which is great to see, and it's going to create a decent amount of revenue in terms of TV because they're not having fans in this. They're still operating with no fans. But what this – and we've touched on this on several occasions, especially you, Scott. Like we, The biggest issue of what is coming to the NHL now is not just cap space for future seasons, but also how that escrow is working. Now, from the 30,000-foot view, just give us an overview – what is escrow according to the NHL? Because I think a lot of people hear NHL, including myself, or excuse me, they hear escrow and, and including myself, and they think kind of like their home mortgage. You have an escrow account that helps pay for property taxes. It's like a, it's its own separate bank account that you pay into. Where does escrow fall in with the NHL in, the, in that kind of terms? Okay. You, I'll try to explain this the best way I can so people can understand it because it gets a little complicated, and we're, the next chalk talk will probably be about escrow because – to understand why how things operate, especially over the next couple of years, th- this is going to affect the NHL so drastically financially over the next couple of seasons here. The cap's going to come down. Escrow's going to go up, which is going to change the landscape of contracts. So back in the 05 lockout, the reason why it happened is because the NHL needed to do cost certainty, as according to Gary Bettman. So the idea was was that eventually what happened is that they finally worked out a deal where the players got like about like 56, 58% of the revenue and the owners 42% of the revenue. Well, then we had the 2013 lockout. The 2013 lockout eventually broke back from the beginning, whereas the players leveled down to get 50-50 revenue split with the owners. So meaning is that the revenues are the salary cap is based off projected revenues. It's not based off what the year before was it's projected revenues of what the NHL is supposed to be. This is where it gets complicated. So try to hang in there and bill. If you have any questions, just ask them. But Mm -hmm. the point is, is that escrow works this way. So the NHL and the NHLPA have an agreement, the collective bargaining agreement where they each are going to get 50% of the pie. The salary cap is set on projected revenues with a mid-level where teams where the mid-level is the low cap, which you can't go above that floor, and the cap ceiling, which you can't go above that number. Not every team spends the cap. Some teams have to spend only to the floor. Escrow works this way, is that the players have a certain amount of deducted basically from their paycheck. It's almost like a tax. Think of it this way. And it goes into a fund. And at the end of the season, what happens is that if the projections aren't right and the cap numbers and the players have a higher percentage of the revenue based upon cap numbers and contracts given and everything like that, if that number does not equal 50-50 from hockey-related revenue, then the owners get a chunk of percentage from the escrow account to make up the difference. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. So so it, it, it literally is kind of like – so if I'm a homeowner – 
when I get and I'm being say, I'm trying to think of an example for. I I understand what you're saying. I just, I'm just trying to make an example out of it, and it's not coming to me. If I think of it, I I'll I'll I'll, I'll chime in. But keep going. Okay. All right. So think of escrow this way. Say that you know you have withholdings from your paycheck to go for federal income tax. Okay. So that the government takes your money and puts it into account. And at the end of the season, at the end of the, at the end of the year, when you are, when you have gone through all your paychecks and you file your taxes, any amount left over, you get back as a refund, right? Yeah, actually, that's, that's actually an even better example than my homeownership example. Like when you do taxes in April, the money you're getting back isn't just coming out of thin air. It's because the government too, took too much money from you and they owe you money back. Correct. Now, say it was this way. That's how it kind of works out. So it goes into a fund. At the end of the season, they, the NHL looks at HRR, hockey-related revenue, and they look at the amount of money that was paid out to the players. And if anything is higher than the other, that's where they get the, there's the difference. So, for example, the last the way, three seasons, the NHL uh, owners have gotten – 10 uh, the nhl players have got the nhlers have gotten 10 percent of the escrow mm-hmm. basically if they paid 13 percent, they would get 10 percent of the escrow and then the other the players would get a three percent refund so if there's like this year it's 14 percent of every player every player's contract that's paid out goes into escrow now here like just the fact that we have to discuss this is important but I also like I understand the owners need to make money. Their job is to make money. But it's hilarious to me that this is a microcosm of the millionaires versus billionaires discussion that we always hear about when it comes to these kind of things. This is the ultimate one. The owners are pissed because of the league that they are part of and they hire Gary Bettman and the marketing and all that stuff to create said hockey related revenue. They can't make that projection because they don't know how to market the league correctly. So then they punish the players of the league that they are trying to establish. And like that's, that's, and that's really what it comes down to in my eyes, like the way this is described, well, it's a punishment on the players who are said, because I get they're trying to make it 50 50, but again, it's millionaires versus billionaires. So at the end of the day, I'm always going to side with the players. I shouldn't say always. I would say 95% of the time I side with the players on on these kind of discussions and, and arguments. But, like, this is the ultimate one where you're just – like, I get why you want 50%. But if, at the, if the players made 55% that year and the owners have to take 45%, it's crazy to me that they'd be like, nope, we have to get that down to 50%, 50-50. Well, and that's exactly what they did. And, and that's why the yeah. escort started because it was like that. It was like 55-45 before, and then it scaled itself back. Here, here's where it gets a little bit complicated, and we have to come up with a creative way to do a shock talk with this to really explain it. <laughs> because the issue comes in this way, is that think of it from the owner perspective. It's not about so much millionaires versus billionaires. I get your point. The NHL could do much better, and they could they could get more money in the pockets of the owners. But the point is, is this way, is that there's two issues with it. One, don't forget, the owners have a lot of financial burden based on NHL franchise, franchise because the overhead is so high. I mean, think about it this way. Some goalies – because the equipment cost is ridiculously high, yeah. they're paying sixty to one hundred thousand dollars a year to outfit a goalie, like one goalie is yeah. is a sixty to one hundred thousand dollars. You got to carry two on your team, so and then you have all the player costs, which they need to have their equipment repaired and equipment. And then you have to pay for your staff, so it's not just about lining the pockets; it's about being able to run a feasible business off of it. Although I get your point, where the players earn, you know, are basically the reason why the league is there in the first place. I get your point with that. But let me let me backtrack a little bit here so that way we don't get too out of control with it. Mm-hmm. The the issue is with escrow is that let's take a good example of of uh Craig Leopold, who is the now the owner of the Minnesota Wild. Before the lockout in 2013, he offered maximum contracts essentially to Ryan Suter and Zach Parise. Right. He I was one this. of the f- first owners to come out and say the players should take a 24% rollback. So basically, he wanted to offer them all this money to bring them, and before they even played a game, he wanted to roll back their salaries twenty four percent, which rubbed the league, rubbed the players' union the wrong way. This is what the issue with escrow is: is that now we're going to start seeing contracts kind of be inflated here, because and the Flyers are actually in a really good spot because let's take Kevin Hayes' example of his contract. 
before the season, everybody was like, oh, my God, how could you sign a guy like Kevin Hayes to a $7.14 million contract per year? So if you take $7.14 million, this year the league is deducting 14% before anything, before taxes, before they got to play their right. agents, before everything. $7.14 million, 14% of that is going directly to escrow. So really what winds up happening here is that if you have 7.14 and you multiply it by 14%, I'm sorry, let's do this with my 7.14 and you're only getting 86%, that means per season he's making 6.14 million, which is the right pay for second line center. However, and let's just clarify, but there's still the AAV, the cap hit basically is that 7 million the right. Flyers are facing. And then, so at the end of the day, like here, actually, this is my like. So say that there is no shortage. There's a season. This is because we're taking this season out. We're just focusing mm-hmm. on a season where there is no shortage. They each got fifty percent. The, the uh-huh. 50 fifty percent in that tax. That fourteen percent. Every player is taxed fourteen percent of their salary. Mm-hmm. Just like how does it divvy up back into the into the account? Like does all of a sudden they're like, oh, we took out. X amount of dollars throughout the season, whatever amount of paychecks that is, of Kevin Hayes' contract, he gets his money back. Like, so, do you see what I'm saying? It's it's divvied out there. Say, for instance, okay, let's say that the league exceeded. Right now, they haven't hit projected revenues the past couple of years. So the owners have gotten a larger chunk out of it. They've gotten about a 10% makeup to get to that 50%. And the, fly, the players get a little bit of a refund back. But the thing is, they could also defer that to the following year. So that way, if they project that it's going to be down, it's going to be an issue. There's two key things out of this. One of it is that they didn't take their last paycheck before the league stopped. The last paycheck was supposed to be out March 15th or at the end of uh, end of March. They didn't take those checks that they played for. So that's going to help them out a little bit coming into escrow. They voluntarily but, took them out. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like they're, they're, they, no, no, they didn't take a paycheck. So they can invest them back into the escrow to kind of offset the blow a little bit. Because gotcha. what's going to wind up happening here is that you're going to see contracts get higher, but the cap isn't really going to increase too much because they're, they're not going to, based upon what happens this year, I mean, they're talking about they could add another additional 21% on top of what they already have. So you're talking about up to a 35% escrow on these players. So you're taking basically Kevin Hayes making $7.14 million, okay? And then instead of getting a a 14%, he could have up to a 35% escrow, meaning that, which is 65, not 35. So you're talking about he would probably make – 4.64 4.64 million almost losing two million dollars on his own that's right. got to go back to the owners to make up that difference because which they that, already paid to the cap this year which then if you're talking about paying kevin hayes only four million dollars a year that sounds pretty damn good on right but again it comes back to the aav won't change as it's correct it stands. correct like, but it, it, it Correct. Unless the NHL makes an adjustment, and chances are they're going to have to because of how absurdly bad this two-month, three-month break has been on the NHL's strain of revenue. As you said, they've come up short the last couple years because, again, they don't know how to market correctly. And this Mm -hmm. is not their fault, obviously. They they can do as much marketing as they want, but they're not going to be able to make up a revenue when there's a – get that revenue when there's a global pandemic – so you're talking something that's just absolutely catastrophic. So they're going to have to adjust escrow, yes, and they're also going to have to recalculate how they do cap space in terms of what is AAV, their the annual cap hit, and what is not, like what is not counting. Because if you're only paying Kevin Hayes, basically we'll just round it to fifty percent of his salary, but his salary cap hit is that is a full one hundred percent. These teams are not going to be able to afford their players like Toronto that are Bingo. already in cap hell. These teams are going to be absolute distraught and they're not going to be able to save them. Yes, and that's that's the point that I was going to make next is that that's why you're going to start seeing some contract inflation here because right now Kevin Hayes 
has a higher AAV and a higher contract to get what he needs to, to get market rate for a center. So the owners are kind of working against themselves here a little bit. They're trying to do it, but then they're going to wind up hurting themselves, which is why the PA was great in deferring the CBA for another two years. So they don't have to renegotiate till then, which we might see a strike. But here's going to be the issue. Oh, be like the two years from now, if when the, C, the CBA expires, I, I will bet my, all my money in the world right now that there's another strike. I, there would be a strike. It wouldn't be a lockout. It wouldn't be the owners initiated. It would be the players. But here's right, going to be right, – right. listen, the, the, there's going to be a battle with this at some point because the NHL has one thing working against it, which kind of hurts it, is that they have guaranteed contracts, which is great for the players, but also cool. the owners are locked in with it. Yeah. So the guaranteed contract is the hill the PA will die on. So there, when, when it comes down to it, the PA is not going to give up the guaranteed contracts, which in turn, even though they're not a big fan of escrow the players, they might have to deal with it in order to get that. But the concern is for me is that the contract inflation. Now you're going to have a team like Toronto that if they don't make the proper adjustments for next year, that cap comes down next year a significant amount based upon hockey-related revenue this year and projected revenue. Toronto is going to have to basically blow half of its team up because you can't afford $10 million of Austin Matthews, $10 million of Jonathan Taves, $10 million of Mitch Marner, and $6.5 million of uh, William Nylander. So that's a team that's going to blow up, and it's it's going to be an issue. The Flyers are in good shape with it right now because they got Sean Couturier under contract for two more years. They have Jake and Giroux locked up. They have Connecting locked up. They have Hayes locked up. They have Provrov locked up. They have their core locked up. But at the end of next season, there's also someone going to have to re-up as well, who's kind of important. Who do you think that is? Well, off the top of my head, isn't Coots? Carter Hart. Oh, gonna, that's right. You're going to have to do because his like ELC Hart. is de- is expiring it's next season. Yes. So, yeah. So there's there's bigger pieces of the puzzle here that the NHL needs to start thinking about. It's great that we're going to get hockey back now and this revenue. And what helps it is that you're going to get revenue from big markets: Toronto, Montreal, New both New Yorks. Uh, let's see, Philadelphia, Washington, Boston, St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, even as a big market, or pretty much all the Canadian teams in the Western Conference. So, in fact, all the Canadian teams in the Western Conference. And, you know, but the only thing that's really going to hurt is you're not going to have that Los Angeles revenue because you're not going to have anything from California. So it's really a bad year for the Sharks to suck. And so, yeah. you know, or or even even the Ducks. So. Um, that's going to hurt them a little bit there because that's big money. And that's why like last year, the players had to give more back in escrow. They didn't get as much back because when you have a final of Boston and St. Louis, it means your bigger draws like Toronto, Tampa, you know, uh, Philadelphia, those teams weren't in it at the time or even eliminated early. You don't get that hockey related revenue from the second, third and last round. So, without the big markets doing it. And that's why like an economic downturn, you'll see that there's like, if you remember during the great recession, look back at the markets that were doing well, Toronto was really the only big market that was not doing well at the time. And they were, they were doing well enough, but like the flyers are really good. The Capitals are really good. Boston was really good. Uh, the Rangers were really good. Right. Uh, all the big teams out West were good. Chicago was really good. It got a lot enough money in that big market area to really offset some of those problems. But uh, I think the league is trying to make it more parity related, which is why the, the the one in 2013, that CBA changed everything, which got now you got smaller markets in it. Like Nashville's kind of a small market. Arizona's a small market. Winnipeg, believe it or not, is a small market. So you have some small market and big market here, but hopefully fans in Miami and Florida, since they're allowed to do whatever the hell they want down there, will go see a hockey game. Because that having a big market like that and that arena full will be a big, big help. If they're allowed, we still are. We still are operating under the assumption that there's going to be no fans. I would assume that, that's my point. But hopefully, oh, people okay. will be able to watch or something, and hopefully, know right. that their teams are making a run at it. But you know, this is going to hurt the league for a couple of years. So while we're excited that the hockey's back, teams that are on the cusp that might think that they're a player or two away from winning a cup might not be able to get that player or two to, to be able to do that. And honestly, that's the Flyers. Like, we talked about the Flyers this in, the, in our preseason as a we'd be happy with a playoff appearance and maybe a playoff series win. I think, I think you said you wanted a playoff series win, if I'm not mistaken. At, at the beginning, they had to win a playoff series. At, yeah. at, at the time before this all hit, I expected the team to get to the conference final. That's how well they were playing now. 
who knows? I, I look, we, we, we can't make predictions but my, but, now. But, 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 but yeah, but my point is like these these teams that are uh, fringe contenders that are one or two pieces away kind of fit the Flyers. Yeah, they signed Kevin Hayes and we talked about how good his contract is under this system, but they still might want to look at another piece to add to the puzzle and that would really soar them into that top tier with the Tampas and the Bostons of the world. And yes, they're there right now, but that we still don't really know if this was a fluke season or just like uh, in terms of not really. I don't want to say fluke. That's a. I think that's a negative connotation. No, but still, it's are are they are they really that good? Are they for real? Right. For like, real? Is this real? a real team or is AV just getting and the absolute best? And the track record shows that AV just gets the best he can possibly get out of his players the first year he coaches a, coaches a team, and then it kind of dwindles after the third fourth. Year and then you're kind of like, is this guy really the guy? And then you you get situations that where he's out and he's all of a sudden out at New York, out in uh, Montreal, and all these other teams. Uh, I wouldn't take it like that. He took a team that was pretty much had the pieces and put it all together for Vancouver. Um, the Rangers they were a defensive oriented team that he got a lot out of with a strong defense and strong goaltending. I don't think he had enough up front. Montreal, I mean, it was his first year. It was 1998. Montreal didn't really have anything going for it in the late 90s. Their best player was, I believe it was, um, was it Saku Koivu before then? I, yeah. I, I believe back then. But here's the thing. And, and I'm going to go off script here, basically, and, 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 and throw something out there that I was listening to yesterday, and it kind of put a couple pieces together. And my thought was this, is that there's a, there's a free agent out there going to be out there this offseason that, that might be worth the splash. Taylor Hall. Ooh. Taylor Hall might be a fit here. And here's why. For for the last 10, 10 years or whatever, since the Flyers had Jake and Giroux, they've always been missing that left wing player to play with them. Now, you don't dominate from the wing. You, you don't. Unless you're a guy like Ovechkin, you don't dominate from the wing. Taylor Hall is a good player. Very good player. He won the Hart Trophy a couple years ago and helped out New Jersey. But he's not a fit in Arizona. And, you know, the thing is, is that I think the Flyers, if they're going to look at any kind of retooling, because listen, there's a lot of money tied up in Jake. And yeah. while Jake is leading the team in assists, you got to know the right time to get rid of a guy before he depreciates in, in assets. That's something there's you the, could argue with JVR, too. Like, bingo. Like, there's, and there's another one. There's, there's, there was already whispers of that with JVR, not in terms of just trading him, but kind of, um, the buyout scenario that I that the teams have the option to just kind of like Limblom changed that though. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah, you need that. You need that size along the wing there. He's that. He's that big player in front that Limblom can't do now because we, we don't know if he's going to play again. So you kind of need to keep JVR. A yeah. Little bit. Just a, a, but here here's the point: is that if you go and trade a guy like Jake, you're giving up a lot of offense to do it. It's a risk. It is an absolute risk. But with all due respect. Look, I, I think Jake is a great player. I think Jake is uh, – but he's not that missing it piece, not for the Flyers anyway, because, frankly, if they would have done he would have, they would have done it by now. And who knows what they might do this season. We'll have to wait and see. But Jake has normally disappeared during the playoffs. He really has. Go yeah. get a guy like Taylor Hall. Get a guy like Taylor Hall. Try to do something with Jake. Trade that out. You get younger. You get faster. You get a more scoring skill set. So I think that – um because he can also play center in the wing. So there's a little more versatility there for a guy like AV who can, who can throw a lot of different line combinations and matchups and screw a lot of things up for another team. That might be a move to look at this summer, but who knows? We got to see how you've got to see how the finances work out. It may, it may not be possible. And that's yeah, a bad it, year to go in a free agency when you're that good of a player like Taylor Hall. Yeah. And that's really what this is. This whole discussion has been about tonight. It's all coming down to how bad is this, COVID-19 pandemic going to affect the NHL in two in one season, two seasons and beyond because this is not something that they can just blow off and say, "Oh, it's a simple fix where we deduct the salary cap for two seasons in a row and then everything's hunky-dory in 2023." That's not how this is going to happen and it's right. not going to fix itself by just the owners saying, well, "We're going to pay the players less or inflate these contracts to be better suited for our accounting department. And it's just, it's not going to work out. No. And, and a lot of players who were up for 
who don't have contracts now who are waiting for this offseason to cash in, yeah. they're in trouble. I mean, you're going to oh, see a guy huge. like like Taylor Hall is not going to make as much money as, as – probably make right around the same money as Kevin Hayes. And you're yeah. paying Kevin Hayes the same money you would for Taylor Hall. Yeah. You know? It, Which is a good thing for the Flyers. Like the like the like you said, the Flyers are one of the few teams that it's in a really good position. They're going mm-hmm. to be a team that's going to be looked at for these struggling teams of how they can get these contracts off their books, and the Flyers can take them. And it's whether it's a player like Marner out of Toronto, like oh. that, that can just add immediate uh, piece right there and and scoring, and that makes that potential trading of Jake Voracek a little bit less. Um, impactful uh, it's it's one of those things where or the flyers is going to take on bad contracts like are they just going to treat it like the like there's a scenario here where the nhl becomes nba-ish where they're trading high round picks first round mm-hmm. picks second round picks for bad contracts the bad teams that are have these bloated contracts are going to look to teams like the flyers and say take this contract and then we'll give you uh, a first round pick for it. And the flyers are going to be not forced to say yes, but they're going to be tempted to say yes. Yeah. Without a doubt. Absolutely. And you got to think too, like Toronto's going to have to have a fire sale. If they don't win it this year, man, th- this whole rebuild they've been doing, they're in trouble. They're in big trouble. trouble because I'll tell you what, I mean, they're going to keep Austin Matthews over anybody. The first person to probably go probably William Nylander, but, and, and then John Tavares, they might be a little hesitant about that, but I mean, <sighs> If Mitch Martin ever came available, man, I don't think he's ever going to leave Toronto. He's a homegrown guy, yeah. Toronto guy, a Toronto kid. But if he ever got available, oh my God, there'd be thirty-one teams going trying to go after him. And, and I, 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 Mitch Martin's got a skill set I've never seen. I, I, I've never seen like it. I mean, the guy plays all three zones. If Toronto has to do something and they have to dump off ten million dollars in salary. <laughs> Nobody's taking Tavares to that contract. They're not going to be able to trade Austin Matthews. Nobody. They're not just going to trade him. <laughs> they're going to be in trouble because they got to tear that team up. They're yeah. they're in big trouble. Awful. It, it's it's sad and it's great to see as Flyers fans. Like it, when yeah. it's when you're seeing a big market team like Toronto and especially because they're probably right behind Montreal in terms of the top Canadian teams in terms of uh, fan popularity is my guess. Maybe Calgary's up there, but like. Th- these teams can't keep doing this, and they you need to see a good team like Toronto in the playoffs consistently year after year. But as a Flyers fan, the idea of Marner come to daddy, man. Like I- I'm not yeah. gonna like seriously. If the Flyers can get, somehow get better out of this, despite the NHL struggles, more power to you. I'm gonna I'm gonna side with the Flyers 99 percent of the time. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this hypothetical because yeah. this is likely what probably will happen with with, with Taylor Hall. Yeah. Would you trade Jake for basically nothing? Bring in Taylor Hall for one year and see what happens. And the Does only reason edit- I say Jake is because his salary is so high, you can offset that and bring in Taylor Hall for a one-year deal. I was going to say, and then whatever Dude. the Jake's contract would be, yeah. the money for tort. Um, see, I, I, I see. Jake, like- I've learned, I like, I've learned to like Jake this season. I really have, but at the same time, he's pushing thirty. He's like he's pushing. You know, he's. He's not going to be able to carry that speed for too much longer. I'm concerned about that. I know, but it, like, I'm looking at, at at Taylor Hall's production. He, ever since his 93 point season, his most successful season three years ago in 2017, 2018 for the Devils, by the way, he hasn't done shit. Like, uh, like he hasn't done anything. 26 points. So I'm. Where I just had he's not it. a fit. He's not a fit in in, in Arizona. That, that is yeah, likely but, a fit. Fine, but let's look at the Devils the following year. Thirty seven points, but he played thirty three games, so he was injured that year. Sixty five games played for uh for wait, what is this? Played for Toronto? No, he didn't play for Toronto. He played for Edmonton. Who the hell's TOT? Oh, that's who the hell's TOT? Not probably a minor a total. No, that would I don't know. Whatever. I, I don't know how I'm reading this thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So the, the way hockey reference has it, because he's played for the Devils and Arizona this year, they have all of those combined for 2019-2020, and then the and New Jersey Devils and Arizona below that. It's very weird. Either yeah. way. So he's only had 36 points this year. So it's like, I would vote no. I would keep Jake around. I would keep okay. Jake. Okay. Especially right. because you're telling me we're giving Jake up for nothing and Taylor Hall for... But you're essentially getting Taylor Hall for him. Right. 
But if I'm giving Jake up for nothing to an X team, whoever that may be, it doesn't have to be Arizona, and then I sign Taylor Hall and pro- hope that he project uh, gets the production out of what we expected from Jake, and then some, and that doesn't pan out, then I have then I'm stuck holding my hands, and I'm just like well, we just gave up a potential of what we knew from Jake. We sold we basically it comes down to we sold the devil for we what we know for the devil we don't know to see what would happen. And okay. you kind of always want to lean towards the devil you know is like kinda in, in that scenario. So yeah, I would I would stay with Jake. Okay. Fair enough. I mean they're about even this season. Jake's but Jake's improved defensively though, which is good. So okay. Right. Fair enough. And, fair enough. And, and and to that point, like Taylor Hall has, hasn't had a plus minus since 2017 2018 again that 2017 2018 season with the devils was his best season of his career he was 93 points and a plus minus of 14 and in seven and that was only in 76 games and it's just like remember it's about fit and it's about getting the most out of a guy i i you see again, you'd have yeah, the reason why I use Jake as the example is you have to give up someone right. of value like that to be able to fit that contract uh, even that. when you deal. Doesn't Jake fit this team already now? What like we're he seeing, does he like, does absolutely. So, so we have no idea. Like we can say on paper, Taylor Hall fits this team, and maybe he does. But again, the devil we know, the devil we don't know. Do we really know that he's going to fit into this squad day one or day three, whatever it may be? When he arrives, and it's just like, oh, okay, he's the new Jake Voracek. He's our solid second line, possibly fill-in role for the first line when need be, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and again, though, you go back to your point about AV being able to get the most out of guys. I in his first year. Some, in his, I'm like in, in AV's first year, he's very, very effective. And then he kind of dwindles. That's where not, I don't want to say I'm not selling. The, I'm not all of a sudden saying that AV has to be fired. What are you trying to, to say about AV? He, I like he, AV. He I love AV. He could be fine. But I'm just saying that after yeah. the first year, it kind of goes downhill. Not downhill oh. right away, but the that his most success is in that first year. He's other not than- able. To, he's not been able. He he went to the final in his first year, but he was also with a couple years with Vancouver before they got over the hump. His yeah. first year with the Rangers, he got there. I, I see. I see your point though. He hasn't been able to repeat the success that he's had before. After a right. certain amount of time, I understand exactly what you're saying. The I'm only just trying to be hypothetical about. No, it. I get that. And w- what is appeasing to Taylor Hall is he's been in the league for ten years, and he's still only 28 years old. Right. Like that is a veteran presence, and you still have a guy under 30, and that's always, always enticing. Whether mm-hmm. it's the NFL, the NHL, any time that you can potentially get a fringe product, not I don't like a just a fringe day in and day out production guy. That is always enticing. So I agree with you there. Like Taylor Hall is an enticing prospect. But if you're talking comparing apples and apples to him and Jake Voracek, I'm going to side with Jake because we know him. We know what he is in AV system. We don't know Taylor Hall in this system yet. All right. One more hypothetical for you. Yep. One more. One more. Okay. Konechny and Morgan Frost. Okay. Marner. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. I, I, as great as Konechny is, and we like you were starting like that that deal that we talked about, and again another contract that we both d- discussed in the in our preseason podcasts. Like we both were on the opposite ends. I agreed with it, but again, if you can get Mitch Marner, it, despite how well Konechny has played under this new contract, yeah, I, I take it every time. Yeah, Marner. The the way that I. It was at a game last year, Flyers and, and Leafs. I went to go just to watch Martin. Every time he's on the ice, I watch him. And I can't believe the, the the amount of room that guy can cover, especially on the PK and how much he yeah. can do. He didn't do anything offensively that night because the Flyers played well defensively. But can you imagine Marner playing with a guy like Giroux or yeah. like on the same it, line it, as it, Giroux? And I not just, just think that would be Yeah, dirty. and that's that actually is exactly why I would do it because Travis Konechny is not going to elongate Giroux's career for another three to five years. Marner's does Marner in this locker room extends Giroux for another three to five years, in my opinion. And it's just one of the, because Giroux's up there. People don't realize like Giroux is 32, 31 this year. Is he 33? He'll be 33, I believe. He's in his twilight years. Like, like unless they win the cup, 
if the Flyers somehow win the cup, whether it's the COVID asterisk year, I don't care, or it's in two years, if they don't win the cup, Giroux is the most wasted talent in Philadelphia sports history. Yep. You're absolutely am, right. I am he, laying my flag on that take he will right be, now. Yep, he'll be 33 at the beginning of next year, believe it or not. So people, people, the Drew's been around a long time, and people have probably realized oh, how old he actually is. Six oh seven was his rookie year. So, oh, eight, or oh, seven, nine, oh, eight. Oh, so he came up a little bit in oh, seven oh eight to set him down. He came up full time in oh eight oh nine. Right. So like you gotta look at the if you if everyone that is knows the truth about Drew and realizes that he is the most one of the most consistently well-played players on this team for the last decade of and ever not this like conspiracy not conspiracy but these these bum heads that say oh you you got to strip the C he's not productive he's one of the most productive players on the Flyers let alone the NHL he's one of the most productive players in the NHL you see stats night in and night out on NHL's Twitter on nhl.com like I didn't want to get like this is a this we could devote another hour to this to, of how underappreciated Giroux is and that's an off season discussion but like I, I it just riles me up every time I hear someone tell me that Giroux isn't deserving of the captain captain not that it matters like if they strip the C of they're not going to at the end of the day I don't think he would care I don't think a lot of people would care but he is the most productive player. On this team, whether he's leading the team in points or not, the production he lays on the ice is ev- invaluable to the success of this franchise. You don't realize how good a player is until he's not there anymore. And yeah, I might exactly. eat my words with that with Jake someday. It's true, but yeah, I no, mean, you're it, totally he, right. He's, but the thing is, is that he's absolutely, he's absolutely turned it around this year. But the thing is, without Drew in this lineup, you don't yeah. realize how not good the Flyers are. Right, it's not the right way to say it but they're, they're not as good without Giroux and they don't have any other star player besides him really Provorov really Carter Hart maybe you're going to build from the back end that way and be like the Rangers where you just can't get over the top listen Drew's got to win a cup before he retires he has to yeah he, has to. he will go down as all of the one of the all-time greats and I'm telling you not if he if he wins a Stanley Cup I would argue is that he would be one of the best players probably if not right there with Bobby Clark. Yeah. And he would and be they, right there with Clarkie. Yeah. It's, I would put him over Clarkie right away. I think, I, I think you'd have to, I think you'd have to, because you know, Clarkie, people don't realize if they put flyers on the cup, Clarkie played till like 1984. Yeah. <laughs> played for another yeah. 10 years if they won the cup. And you know, most people don't realize that, but like the thing is, is that they kept that core. They built Barber there, played to the early eighties, all that stuff too. And like, you know, if Bernie hadn't gotten hurt, they probably would have won more. If they hadn't traded Hextall beforehand in the early in the late in in the Lindros trade, they probably would have had an opportunity to win another cup or, or in that meantime. Or, but the point is, without going down all those rabbit holes, the point is is that Giroux, he he has to win a cup. And as I said earlier in, in one of the episodes earlier this season, you have to think that he knows the clock's ticking. Yep. And I think that the team might know that. Their clock is ticking on how long they can keep this core together because at some point, regardless of all this that's going on, they're going to have to break things up. It's going to transfer from basically Giroux and Voracek to basically Konechny and Couturier. That's your yeah. next future. And behind them, it's going to be Morgan Frost. It's going to be some of the other guys. Like, you know, some of those guys are, are going to be creeping up. And, you know, you don't want to get in a situation where you have a guy like Giroux, you have to move him. As you did with a guy like Lindros, who couldn't get it over the hump, he, and he, that's that'd be sad to see because he be. has been so good for this team. I'm I'll close. I'll close with this, and we basically got into a Claude rant, and that's fine. He's in year six of his eight-year extension that he signed in 2013. Oh man, he's that's like right. he's it expires in two years. 2022 is his final year potentially as a Flyer. He'll be 34 years old, and he won't come back at that point. They're gonna have. To, they're not going to. I don't want to I, like I I don't I don't think the I I don't think it'll be a matter of he'll want to come he'll, him not wanting to come back it's a matter of are the Flyers going to pay him what he is going to want because I think he's going to want what he's near what he's making now which yeah, is so that money's going in 2 years you have Kateria coming up too so you got the exactly. chance yeah. and that, you got I mean. you had to yeah. at that point you have to so, unless you get a 
unless you get a team friendly deal, like this is this is it. This this, is this it, year this is it for them. And it, like this is this oh, is going to be man. interesting. What happens when Claude after the twenty twenty two season, dude? So, I'll tell you we'll what. Close you, with just, that. you just kind of put it in perspective of me. Like I know I talked about last week, but really, like it, it would suck to see the Flyers win now because you know it. You wouldn't be able to go enjoy that party on Broad Street. But the same I, thing, you know what? I want to see a frigging cup here, and I'm going to see some of these players win that cup. And yep, you know, because what's going to wind up happening is that when you go in that transition phase. They're not going to be as good as they were before. Once Giroud departs, once Voracek departs, when some of these veterans start, you know, getting to that point where they're going to move on and it's, they have to readjust the core, you're going to start seeing them as hiccups again like you did 10 years ago. Sorry, it's, it's going to happen. You're going to transfer yeah. the team over to the leadership core of being Konechny, of being Provorov, and being Couturier. You're going to see some hiccups there, so you're going to have to rely on Carter Hart to be able to do that. So, you know, it's – you know, it, 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 you have to do it now. There's no time like the present. Nope, exactly. And on that note, let's do this real quick before we wrap. We are down to the championship, quote unquote, of our Curb versus Seinfeld bracket. Scott, are you ready to hear the final matchup voted by you, the listener? And it is officially going to be a Curb versus Seinfeld matchup. Oh, are you right. ready to hear it? Yes. This is – I just checked the polls that we have running. One expired, I believe, tonight. The other one is still going, but that's fine. The final matchup is – final four was Carpool versus Palestine Chicken. The winner in the first final four matchup is Palestine Chicken. Oh, my yes. God. Love it. I went back and forth on this the entire week. I am so happy to see Palestine <laughs> Chicken in this. Oh, it's going to be a great matchup. So that's uh-huh. the first half. The other half was between the Seinfeld episodes, the face painter, which we have a little bit of biases towards because of the theme, uh-huh. and the classic episode featuring my favorite character and the only character that made it funny, Jerry Stiller. Festivus, the winner by the slimmest of margins, Festivus. Oh my God! Yes, Once again. Oh. So an up, a slight upset, I would say, because I think no, no, I think that Festivus is probably one of the most popular Seinfeld episodes, yeah. so it doesn't really surprise me. But face paint to get to this far, Cinderella, if you ask yeah, me. Really, it, it really was. So the, the final Hamptons mat- and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is it. So the final matchup is the Palestine Chicken episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm versus the Festivus Holiday episode of Seinfeld. Festivus for the rest of us. Where do we go from here? We are going to put this poll up right now. I'm posting it right as we speak for you all to vote in. By next week's episode, we'll have our final matchup. And hopefully, we'll also be able to break down the official brackets of where we're going. And while not the brackets of – we're able to discuss the official format of the NHL playoff bracket with 2014. Something completely unprecedented. But we hope you're enjoying listening to this. Our unofficial, official hockey – or NHL offseason podcast on the Orange and Backcheck podcast – Keep listening. Keep tuning in. We'll post everything on our Facebook pages. Orange and Back Check. Just search it right there, then and there. On Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, all that good stuff. If you have an email, a question for us uh, regarding escrow account, we know it's a lot of information to process. Scott, great job explaining it. I think that it, it's it's such a complicated thing that you need multiple ways to for people to listen to it and comprehend it. So keep an eye out for our Chalk Talk series on that. If you have another question or want something addressed on that, uh, send us an email at orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com, orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you. Uh, Rate the podcast five stars. That's a huge help for us. Um, And tell your friends about us. We're we're seeing good numbers, uh, and it's all thanks to you spreading the word on this pod. Uh, Scott? Have a good weekend, brother. Uh, well, and I'm glad we didn't get to hear too many of a screaming child and a dog barking. Well, you know, I was going to ask you, how, how, <laughs> how is little Moby doing? Moby. 
by the end of the year, by the by next season, we're gonna have to get you to learn. Hope that you can learn to pronounce his name Mo- correctly. Mogul. Mowgli. He's good. Yeah, he's getting better with the whole potty training thing. I mean, he's only ten weeks old. He had his first vet vet visit with us, so he's got a clean bill of health. So great. That's all good. Not pooping out any worms yet, huh? No, he's he's on that. The apparently the the first thing they told me was here's a pill. He takes it once a month for the rest of his life, and it's to help heartworms and all this other stuff. So I was like, rest of his life, one yeah. pill. Yeah. My God, yeah. And he's only ten weeks old, so yep. that's yeah. a, a lot of, bit of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yep, totally. Hey, you know, thing is, I you know they, they used to. I remember having a dog when I was a kid and seeing it the first time. Like, well, that freaked me out. That was a little strange to see an actual worm in there. But it, some yeah. puppies actually are born with them, so that's what happens. Yeah, so. that's what that's what we uh, were told. But thankfully, uh, it seems like the the worms come with those. Uh, less legit puppy mills or whatever the the puppy mill so <laughs> thankfully uh like i like i we did not get Mowgli in one of those scenarios we did all our homework on that so he's had a clean bill of health in terms of that stuff so good. we're very thankful good glenn little murphy's doing better good job murphy all right on that note again orange back check facebook twitter instagram orange back check at gmail.com we'll talk to you next week escrow sucks